Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 92. So last week we had Kaylin and Williams on, developers of uh, from Macrofab. Developers of development. Yes. <laughs> um, so that, that was a pretty good podcast, I think. It was, it was fun. Yeah. It was interesting. People are really liking that we are bringing more people from Macrofab on. That's the second time we've done that. Um, the first two we had were the Knight Brothers. Oh, we had we had Dustin on. Remember? Oh, we actually oh, had right. Dustin on twice. Yeah, we had Dustin on twice. Way back in the day. Way, yeah, that, that was, was in like the tens and twenties. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that, that was the third time we've done it. Fourth time we've done it. Yeah, and yeah. eventually the, uh, there's there's other people who have expressed coming on. Eventually we'll do that. Yeah. Um, so we got to do it more. Cool. Yeah. Um, so the last project I was working on that we talked about was the Jeep cruise control project mm-hmm. and it is done. Nice. My Jeep has buttons on the steering wheel now. It's like speed racer. And now. it actually does cruise control. Yes. It doesn't kill you in the process either. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, it feels like speed racer. You know, he's got all the buttons on the steering wheel. Yeah. Well, the eight different yeah. buttons that he can do that do yeah. like ridiculous things. Yeah. Like make the car jump. Like stuff that extendo like, legs and things. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like smoke screen and it's like stuff that like they would never allow in racing, but he is allowed to have. Yeah, somehow it's it's okay if it's him. Yeah. Well, I mean the the show is named after him. So wait, what buttons do you have now? So I've got um cruise cruise control on off. So that like basically just toggles the system on and off. Mm-hmm. Then there's set. So that's on the left side. Okay. So when you press it up, that turns it off and on. The bottom is set, so it sets the speed. And then on the right side, you've got accelerate, cancel, and coast. And so if you click the accelerate button when you're engaged, it like bumps up in speed. Okay. I don't. I think cancel just like just just turns it off, but right. it doesn't turn off the cruise control system. Well, it, it, it just like it just it, turns it, like, off the, the the threshold. Yeah, it just like unarms it or something. Right, right. And that's right. what it feels like to me. And then, coast basically, uh, it doesn't really. It's not like the exact opposite of accelerate. Where in some cars, if you hit like the coast button, mm-hmm. um, it just drops you a mile an hour down. This you just press it, and the car just starts decelerating. And then when you let off, it just picks up where it was at. So if you like, if you're going 65 and you hit coast and you coast down to like 55 and then let your finger off the button it'll cruise at it'll 55. stay at 55 that's yeah, yeah okay it's kind of weird because it's not like you press a button like a, the ones i've used you press it like once and it'll drop a mile an hour mm-hmm. and like accelerate you press it once and it goes up one mile an hour this is kind of like it's kind of like analogy i guess because you like <laughs> hold and accelerate and the jeep will go and then it will keep accelerating until you take the, your thumb off the acceleration button. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, but so how I did this is um, so for people, I'm not going to do like a step-by-step of how this is a couple of people out there that have done it, mm. but the easiest way and the cheapest way I've seen uh, was, has been, blah, 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 have been able to do this was I've, I ordered on eBay a used wiring harness. I think we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. But the one I picked wasn't for my year of Jeep. I picked a TJ harness, which is my model. So it was all the right connectors and stuff, but I my, I have a 99. So I picked like a year 2004 harness. Um, 
And the harness to look for is the one with the fuse box on it that goes under the engine. It's like one big long harness, then it goes into the um, firewall near your left foot. Okay. Um, so that's the harness to look for is the one with the the uh, engine control fuse box, basically, that goes under the hood. So you want that one. And you want a later model because the later model ones actually have the um, cruise control connector built in. So in, in the early years of the TJ Jeeps, they had two different basically model numbers for that harness. One was with cruise, one was without. And actually there was another one which is um, without um, um, ABS brakes as well. Okay. Um, so basically you just need to find one that's got just the later model ones. They basically just consolidated it all into one harness. And so if you had ABS or didn't have ABS or if you had cruise and didn't have cruise, you got the same harness. I guess it's probably just they figured – you know, the bean counters probably figured out that, hey, if we just made one harness, it's actually cheaper. Probably. Then, what, it'd be four different SKUs? Five, no, three, no, it'd be two options. Yeah, four different SKUs. Right, yeah. right. Um, just so pay one guy to build to make one. one. And even yeah. though it has a little bit of extra material cost, it's just, it's three less SKUs. So it's probably cheaper in the long run. Um, so I went with the later model one, and I took basically took the, the cable... Uh, the harness and I tore all the sheathing off of it. Ugh. A big, big mess. I was wearing gloves because it was just nasty. Just goopy. Yeah. Well, no, it's not goopy. It's just, you know, you got like 15 years of engine grime all mm. over it. Um, so I cut it all up and then I took apart the connector because you have to, basically you have to take the pins out of one of the connectors that's on the engine control module. And then I, I took those pins out and then Tr- pulled all the wire out of the harness to the other connector that goes into the firewall, um, into your to the uh, un- uh into the under dash basically, um harness because that's there's two harnesses there. Um, and so I pulled that wire all out, and the the weird thing about the connector for the engine control module, I'm glad I had a spare. Because I destroyed this one taking it apart. <laughs> and so I'm glad I didn't take my one I needed that's in my Jeep apart first. Because I would have destroyed it. Yeah. Um, it's basically got this plate. It's blue. So the connector is helped. It's gray. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll try to take a picture of it for the podcast. Um, but it's got a blue plate in it that it looks like you would basically push it in. And then it would pop out like, you know, it like it snap fits in from the back. Sure. But this plate actually is a sliding plate and so you push the plate over and then it unlocks the pins did you not uh oh i tried to pry it open oh it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, because it looked yeah. like because I, uh, I pried the back off and the back part snaps in like that it, it pushes straight in and snaps in yeah and then i so i pulled that part off and then i saw this blue piece of plastic and it's kind of when you look at it it's like when you actually look at it like you know in your hand it's obvious that it slides sideways because it's got like a um, it almost looks like a shortened th- old school thermostat where it's got a big hole and then a slot that comes off the side. Mm-hmm. So that way, the big hole is where you put the pins in. And when all the pins in, you slide the plastic piece over. And it holds them all in and place. And it holds all in spot. Um, so all you have to do is uh, basically move that slot over and then yank the pin out. And that that's better. And you just broke through it. Yeah, well, on the first one, because I didn't need to use it, and I was just disassembling it, trying to figure out how it worked. Yeah. Because I couldn't figure out how to get the pins out. So the one in the Jeep, I 
carefully took it apart and slid it over and was able to push the pins back in. Sure. So I put those pins in, ran the wire all the way across, and I, like, redid the harness. So I could put new loom on it so it looks brand new. Um, you can't tell I put four extra wires in it. Um, put the new connector in for the uh, speed control stuff, wired it all up, and it worked. Nice. Um, it didn't work first try, though. What what happened? Um, so in 99, was it's a changeover year, and so most people won't have this problem, but they changed the resistance values in the switches on the steering wheel. Hmm. What, to, from what to what? Uh, well, it was because it's the they're it's they say it's multiplex. It's not multiplex. It's a analog read because it's one signal in. It's power in and then analog out. Oh, okay. And so it, it's basically um, when you press a button, it goes across resistor of different values for each button, and, and they the just read just whatever. Reads it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. that way they can do five buttons on one wire. Right. It's really cheap way of doing. Yes. It. Yeah. 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 Um. So what they did is in the earlier Jeeps, they had um, – if no buttons were pressed, it was floating. Okay. Um, or open. Yeah, it was open, I guess, is a better way to say it, not floating. Right. Um, it, w- it would be zero or nothing. Yeah, it's an open connection. And I'm guessing they had to change that um, in the later model, I guess, for EMC or something. And they made it like 19K is no button pressed. Mm. And so when you press all the buttons, they all the values are actually slightly different because of that 19K loading resistor now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think the values are actually the same. It's just the switches have that built-in loading part now. Well, it it makes a little bit of a... It makes a different voltage divider, right? Yeah, slightly yeah, yeah, different yeah. one. Yeah. Um, so wait, what, what, did it actually do something? Just no. n- Okay, so it didn't even do like, it didn't like mix the functions. It just didn't work. It doesn't work because it's completely different numbers. Ah, okay. So the engineers that did it actually did a good job in terms of if you put in a, you know, different model switch, it just straight up won't work. So I guess they windowed each button. Yes. Each button has to be within a certain voltage range. Yeah. Okay. And, and so I've, I've got, uh, so I was a 99, and so I had a... I, I bought 1998 switches and I bought the later model switches and I'll get to that in a, in a bit. But so I put first, I put the 98 switches in and I couldn't get the cruise control to turn on at all. Okay. Okay. And so I'm like, okay, what's up? Um, so I checked all the pins. I, I basically unplugged, you know, the, the, uh, connectors, you know, extended the leads on my multimeter. I'm reading everything. Beep I'm like, test. beep test, everything beep test. Great. The solenoids were getting power, all that good stuff. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's the switches. Mm-hmm. So I had all the switches wired up, and I unplugged the two connectors on the... Um, on the... Uh, Harness? No, on the um, the uh, ECU. Yeah, and, okay, um, the control unit. Yeah, so it's got... The, the two pins that the um, switches use is one on the C connector... C3 connector, which is the gray one, which is why I had to add all the pins. And the other one's on the A connector, which is the black connector, um, which is the ground. And that wire already existed. Okay. So I actually, um, I think that was the A4 was the connect- connector on the C1, which is the black connector. And the other one was C32, which is on the gray connector. I'll write it in the notes when I look at my schematic I, I made. Um, so anyways, I hooked up those two pins to my multimeter. But my multimeter leads were not long enough to, like, 
bring it into me so I can uh, bring it into the driver cab so I can press the buttons. So I just leaned it on the windshield and was looking through the windshield as I was pressing the buttons. <laughs> and uh, it was reading all the resistance values correctly. So I'm like, okay. okay, that's all good. Yeah. And so I'm like, maybe, maybe for some reason the um, – the I, I need to use the later model switches. And the reason why I bought the later model switches was my idea was I've got a later model steering wheel, so I need the later model switch design. Maybe, yeah. Because they changed no, they changed the physical dimensions of the switches. Ah. Uh, okay. And so I needed the later model switches, but my idea was I was just gonna go in and change the resistance values to the correct ones. <laughs> and then I would have the older style resistance values with the newer style switch bodies. Sure. Um, so I plugged the newer ones in and it worked like right away. Like I pressed cruise control on and the cruise control light turned on. I'm like, that is weird. So my Jeep has a 98 engine, but a later model cruise control program on it, Hmm. which doesn't make any sense. Cause if you, I looked up like 99 interior, like 99 Jeeps with cruise control and looked at the interior pictures and it's the old style steering wheel with the old style buttons on it. Hmm. I have no idea. Maybe they made a special button that was for that, or... That's weird. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know what Chrysler was smoking in 1999 when mm. they did that. <laughs> How long did it take you to figure that out? About an hour. Oh, okay, so this wasn't like beating your head for a whole day. No, because, well, I beat tested... It took me about an hour to test all the harness, make sure everything was good. Sure. And, and the resistance values, and then, yeah, I just spent like... I was like, what if I just did it this way? Well, hey, at least you knew that you needed to check resistance values. Yeah. I checked everything, and everything worked. So what you need is you need to get an older, if you want to add cruise control to your 99 TJ. Oh, I'm sure there's so many people in this world that want to do it manually themselves. Yeah. Um, order a late model TJ wiring harness because we'll have all the crap you need. Um, you need to order the right switches. I can't remember the part numbers. Just Google or eBay, like TJ cruise control buttons. Um, you'll get those. Then you need a speed control servo, which is part number four, six, six, nine, nine, seven, nine. Then you'll need the cable, which is four, eight, five, four, one, five, six. And then you need a vacuum line because the whole system runs off vacuum. Of course. Um, and that's five, two, one, zero, nine, five, two. AD, and then you have to fab up a bracket to mount that servo because I couldn't find a part number for that. <laughs> but I think you can actually just go online. It might be easier. Or you just pay someone to do all this for you, right? I actually don't think anyone would do this for you. No, you can buy somebody. You can buy would. aftermarket, like third parties cruise control stuff. Yeah. That's about 300 bucks. This was about $100. And about. A and about week's, $200 worth of labor? <laughs> no, about, no, about a week's worth of like research. And then, because it's like trying to, this is the worst thing now. So at $150 an hour for engineering time, how much did you spend? Over 10000 then. 10000 <laughs> <laughs> No, this is the worst thing about doing the research now on this, on on vehicles I've been finding out, is people you, uh, use Photo Bucket back then. Oh. Photo Bucket was like really big. Yeah, it was before, the big. The, it was before Imgur. Do you, do you have a Photo Bucket account? Yeah. Yeah. I, I still have my old one. Yeah, I actually have three because I had to get around there, like, limits on how many images you had. Oh, really? Yeah, like, three photo bucket accounts. I used to use photo bucket uh, just so I could post uh, pictures in forums back in the day. That's what I used it for. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so the problem about that, though, is photo bucket changed their, 
like embedded stuff where mm-hmm. you have to pay now. Yep. And so now it basically broke every single form from back then. Yeah. So yeah. like I'm like looking at like a post from you know year 2002 of like how the like like how the cruise control and the Jeep works, and he's like just follow this diagram, and it's just like photo bucket account like unauthorized to use hot links, and I'm like. <laughs> it's like that viper thing like, yeah it was, no, I was it's, even, to say it's that. even worse now because it's corporate viper yeah i got corporate i will viper. never know you due to corporate viper <laughs> yeah and so it was oh man yeah and there, there used to be a there's a plug-in now that you can like put in firefox and chrome that gets around it but then photobucket figured that out and banned that too so you can't even yeah, it's brutal. Like, you can't even, like... It makes you wonder why they did it, because they were already kind of on their way out. Why would yeah. you go out, like, by screwing everyone? Yeah, and that's the other thing, too, is even if they just went out of business, that would have been horrible as well for all this old... It's like we just lost this whole photo bucket thing. We just lost a ton of internet knowledge overnight. But, but ancient internet. And by ancient, I mean, like, a decade old. Yeah. Well, yeah. in the internet time, that's a long time. And this oh, is stuff internet that's, time, that's ages. And it's not its not like stuff that you can just go and get a book of either. It's like wisdom that's been passed down. At least in like car forms, everyone used PhotoBucket. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And so it's like, yeah. like I'm going to try to get a you know late 60s Chevy pickup truck. And I started looking at the forums of like older posts and stuff. And everyone uses PhotoBucket. I'm like, well, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> the fortunate thing is I know so much about Jeep stuff. I don't really need pictures to know what they're talking about. Well, new stuff, you know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the cruise control works. I'll take some pictures of it. Um, You'll upload them in the photo bucket. Yeah, in the photo bucket. So they you can't so see So no them. one can see them. Yeah. <laughs> and so the next project on the Jeep, because, you know, it's a Jeep and it's always a project. Well, for you, it will it will never end. Yeah. Um, so I want to fix the electrical crap that's in there. Oh. All the electronics. Okay, I was the, about to say, like, explain what you mean the, by electrical the accessory, crap. accessory stuff that I put in. So I've ah. owned this Jeep since 2005. Okay. I bought it used when I was a kid. Uh, I was 15 years old, bought it. I think it was like $4,500 or something like that. Wait, you weren't 15 in 2005? Yeah. Oh, wait. You would have been 18 in 2005. Why did I think 2005? You bought it in high school, so it would have been 2002. Yeah, you're right, you're right. There you go. Yeah. Semantics. Semantics, yeah. <laughs> this is what engineers care about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't remember I don't remember high school. Well, no, I was thinking because we're the same age and yeah. I'm like, I wasn't fifteen in two thousand five. Yeah. Okay. I, anyways, so you, I bought so it when I was had 15. It longer than I've had it for a long time. And my prowl prowlness of like electronics has, you know, evolved greatly since I was in high school. Um and so all the wire all the wiring that I did back then is solid. It's just like this. When I look at it, I, like, cringe. I'm like, oh, why did I do it that way? <laughs> why did I wire it that way? So I'm like, I've been redoing it, some of it as I get, to, like, I'm like, okay, I need to do this thing on the Jeep, and it's near this thing that I did 10 years ago, so I'll just redo it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so now it's at the point where I'm like, I got everything else done that I want, and so I'm like, I'm going to fix the wiring. Yeah. Make it all up to snuff now. So um, I drew up a wiring diagram of how I'm going to do it, I'll put it in the blog post. And you've, you've given me a copy of this. This is the first time I've seen this. Yeah, this is kind of like just a block diagram okay. kind of thing. Um, so the, the idea is right now there's a lot of wiring that goes between the engine compartment and where the relays are at. And 
the switches that are in the cab because okay. each switch has to be connected to a relay. And the problem with that is whenever I need to add an accessory, I have to basically pull the dash to get to the area to run the wire through. Ugh. And yeah, it's a pain in the butt. So what I want to do is set up two boards, one that's in the uh, Jeep cabin and one that's inside the engine bay that's right next to the relays. Mm-hmm. And they just talk over, you know, ser- we talked about this before, uh, talks over cereal, yep. probably RS-45, um, CAN bus if I feel happy, but probably not because the Jeep doesn't even have CAN bus. So there's no point. Um, a local CAN bus. Yeah, local CAN well, Yeah. There'd be no point of CAN bus. Right. So, and probably actually RS-232, because I don't need even 485. Right. Um, so, they'll talk over serial um, that way. And then, that way, if I need to add new stuff, all I need to do is just write an extra piece of code and push it to the to the two boards and... Now it works. You don't have to yank the dash every time. I don't have to link, yank the dash and run a wire. So, Which that sucks. Yes, it does. Um, so the board inside will will have a display. It will have basically it will have a whole bunch of switch inputs. Um, I'll probably put built-in GPS on it if I'm feeling you know happy happy about it. <laughs> and that um, satellite rock I've been working with, I might put that on it too. The what is it? Irid- uh, rubidium? Ru- no, it's iridium. Iridium. Yeah, okay. iridium rock module i'll probably put that on there too um and i'll probably put a lithium battery on it like an 18650 cell for so when you turn the key off it lives for a little bit before it decides to turn itself off sure um that way it's also it can wake up and you know do functions so like i'm thinking about making it like you know it'll wake up every so often pull gps data and then send data out on the rock so you always know where your Jeep's at, so you know where you parked. Because <laughs> you lose your Jeep all yeah, the time. Yeah, how bright red that Jeep is, I'll totally yeah. lose it in the parking lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just fun stuff you can sure, do. Sure, yeah. Just um, do it because you can. Yeah, exactly. So and then the board, and so then um, that's information, what switches are pushed, all that good stuff, goes to the RS-232. It'll go into the engine bay where there's another board. Um, that basically controls all the relays and gets temperature data from the engine. So I'm going to do like, I'm going to get coolant temperature, I'm going to get oil temperature, I'm going to get um, air intake temperature. Mm-hmm. That's actually easier to get than just random, um, like, because I want air temperature, like what's going across the radiator, but that's actually really hard to set up correctly because when you stop, airflow stops. Yeah. So temperature just spikes but if you have constant airflow i.e. in the intake of your engine um you get actually a pretty good measurement as long as you're far enough away from the engine yeah so i'm gonna put it right at the intake 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 yeah that's actually the, correct the intake of the intake yeah the intake of the intake yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where the temperature sensor will be and then there was one more temperature i was going to do um reading my sheet oh yeah transmission temperature that one's important it's on a good jeep. one to have yeah it's a good very good one on the jeep because their uh, Jeep, these TJs, they severely undercooled the automatic transmissions. So that's like the first thing. What about thing you uh, your rear differential temperature? Don't need to. Don't care about that? Nah. I got like the diff- well, one, the differential on the Jeep, um, they don't really overheat too much. And I've got like a ginormous Ford 8.8 on the rear, too, now. Mm-hmm. So it's like that thing will never overheat. Sure. Plus, it's like, what do you do if it was overheating? Stop. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, just the ignore. Yeah, ignore. Um, so I've made some interesting design decisions on how, like, this whole thing gets powered up. Uh, I'm going to run it all off the 12-volt auxiliary line. So mm-hmm. when you turn the key to on, this powers up. Yep. Um, and so it'll, the that power goes into the cabin board. That's what I'm calling it. And then along with the RS-232 is going to be a ground wire and a power line, 12-volt line. That goes into the that board that's in the engine bay. Okay. Um, and then when it turns on a relay, the return path of the relay is not going to go directly to to the chassis ground like most people do. I'm actually going to have it come back into the that control box and then back up into the cab on that RS232 wire, and then to the chassis. What are you doing that for? So Redu- you can sense it. No, reduce ground loop. Oh. Okay. So instead of having this, you know loop of cabin ground to um, frame ground. Right. I'll be returning that path straight back. Yeah, you, you you don't want a ton of extra crap flowing in the chassis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes yeah. sense. Um, I mean, even, even if the chassis is a big, huge piece of metal, metal. it shouldn't matter. No, yeah. It, this probably won't matter, but it's one of those, I, I'm like, I can do it, and it's a nice attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it, yeah, it should be pretty good. I'm, you I'm know, pretty happy. F- okay, so fu- a funny side note uh, that I think you'll you'll. I was watching this earlier today. Ave the guy, yeah, funny YouTube guy. Um, he's got a video coming out here soon where he's testing, uh, like bolts. He's basically testing like oh, a bolts can be reused. Well, he he so he he rigged up a new kind of device that'll basically pull on a bolt until it breaks. Uh, he just has this hydraulic ram that just grips it and yanks on it till it breaks. Uh, but I think he's also going to like twist break them and, and mm-hmm. find, um, uh, sheer strength, sheer strength. Yeah. Things of that sort. So when I was over at your house a couple of weekends ago, we were working on my motorcycle and you mentioned something about, um, anti-seize putting yep. anti-seize on all your bolts. And you were saying like, Oh, I put anti-seize on all my bolts yep. to make sure AVE is actually going to test anti-seize. And he's like, does it actually work? So of course he has some like really crappy, like, method of actually testing it <laughs> but but it's going to be worth watching i from just experience i know it works yeah yeah and, um you do have to i can't remember if you increase or decrease the amount of torque you put on the head though i'm sure you'll re- go through that i think you reduce it by 10 percent is the rule of thumb because it basically you're adding a lubricant to the threads and so you have to change what the torque value is. You're adding a lubricant, and you're actually adding things in between the threads. Yeah, there I is think, something there now. Yeah, I think you reduce it. Someone's going to email in and say, yeah, I'm wrong. be like, you are absolutely wrong. Yeah, I think you, you increase re- it by five hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's actually a very small percentage. Um, there's actually a. Um, I was watching some people build engines, and they were actually talking about this. Is um, for connecting rods. Connect a connecting rod is the part that connects the piston. I think most people know what the piston is mm-hmm. and it connects it to the crank, which is the part that actually spins around in your engine. Right. So it can, it makes the piston go up and down Well, the piston makes the connecting rod. Yeah. Go up yeah, and down, yeah, yeah. Which that. then turns the crank. Yep. Um, so, but the connecting rod, the most important thing about the connecting rod is the bolts that hold it to the crank. Um, and there's a company out there that sells aftermarket bolts for like almost every single engine. Okay. And they actually, um, give you a specific torque rating with and without their special like 
lubricant. Oh, they have some kind of they have proprietary some goop. Goop that you put the, on the bolt, and so when you torque it in, you can increase the amount of torque and make it better, I guess. But it's just a big sleeve bearing on the the bottom end of the the uh, con- this arm, right? Yeah. So why would extra torque? Well, no, the extra torque holds the connecting rod end cap onto it better. And mm. and with so when it, when you basically what it is when it heats up, you don't want that connecting rod connection to expand because mm. if it expands, then now your sleeve bearing's got a little more wiggle room, and now you might throw a bearing. You might throw a bearing, or if it if it gets even a small mid, bit of angle in it, you you're wasting heat, uh, energy as heat, heat heating up the bearing, and your bearing will throw the rod eventually. <laughs> <laughs> you wow. make a you make a nice window inside of your engine block. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that was the um, that was the automotive macrab the macrab automotive podcast. Yeah, <laughs> thirty minutes of automotive yeah. talk. <laughs> So, I'll try cool. not to do that again. No, no, that was cool. So, I the like next it. time we talk about the Jeep, I'm um, hopefully we'll have the board, des- at least one of the boards designed all the way. You already have one designed, right? Um, that was back when I was going to do a combined board. Oh, okay. And so I was going to run all the wires into the cab, and now I want to do this two watt board thing because I want to not run wires because that's that's a pain in the butt. Yeah, yeah. I actually did some um, dash wiring this last week. Uh, in my truck, I still haven't even seen it yet. I yeah, I bought a I bought a new stereo because I'm going on a trip here soon, and I, and I have the 2008 uh, Toyota Tacoma, and it that was the year right before they added Bluetooth or auxiliary to a truck. <laughs> so I'm I, for years I was still struck stuck with CD audio, and that's it. That's my only option. Yep. Uh, or radio, and I'm going on a really long road trip coming up here soon with a buddy of mine, and I was like, you know what, I'm not gonna have him just either listen to my five CDs or me talk. So yeah. I, I got a new... Uh, um, oh, your Disney CDs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of my Disney CDs. Every <laughs> single one. Uh, well, and, and, and I, I listen to a lot of metal, and he doesn't. So <laughs> that probably wouldn't work out well for him. Uh, so, yeah, no, I put a new stereo in. And it was, you know, surprisingly, I thought it was going to be a pain in the ass. I was totally prepared that I was going to be like, I'm going to spend you, half a day working on this yeah, thing. Yeah. No, I had the whole thing installed in like an hour. In one beer? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, I did, it, I did it on a Saturday morning. I woke up and I was like, okay, well, half the day is dedicated to getting this in there. Taking the dash out, getting everything in was just, it wasn't that hard. But I bought like a, a wiring kit where it every color was like, it, 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 it was a, it was, it fits into the Toyota factory connector yeah. and breaks it all out into like a standard color code that stereos use nowadays. So it's just like the purple wire goes to the purple wire, the black wire. Goes <laughs> to, you know, it's just like, it's mindless. It's yep. yeah. So it was really easy, but I took a look at the harness that goes in the back of the, uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right in front of the firewall. And I was like, I never want to touch that because <laughs> it looked like it looked like there was at least three hundred wires in there. Oh yeah, you know? it was. It's, oh it's got to be worse than, than my Jeeps. Oh, it, I mean, it was it was a bundle of wires that was easily an inch and a half by an inch and a half, and all the wires looked like they were about twenty four gauge. <sighs> and I was just like, oh my god, like there's not enough colors in the rainbow to fit all of those wires. Oh know? yeah, speaking of that, it's like. I wrote down like all the color combos. It's like light green with red, and then red with light green stripe. Oh, and I'm like, ah, it's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, 
Um, you know, where do you buy that kind of wire though? Cause I, cause before I was doing all my research for this stuff, I was going to actually use the proper wire color. Mm-hmm. And so, cause I was just going to order a harness and then pull the pins out and re-solder new wire on. That's the right color. Um, fortunately I didn't have to do that cause I got a harness that had all that crap in it. So all I only had to do is just pull the wires out and it was the right color. Where do you buy that? Cause I looked on Mauser. I couldn't find Stuff like that. I wonder if you have to go to like a specialty wiring place that deals in color combo. Well, okay, so I can I can actually speak to that because I have a little bit of experience. Uh, in fact, okay, so so in Mexico in Tijuana, they actually do a lot of um, audio. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not audio. Uh, uh, cable Har- harnesses. Harnesses, yeah. And and a lot of the shops down there will sign like five six seven year contracts with an auto manufacturer to do 100 percent of their harnesses yep and so they're getting spools of wire by like the tonnage uh so i mean when you buy wire in that much bulk you just contact the the wire manufacturer and they're like what colors do you want yeah that's how you get all of those different colors so i need to be able to build like like a thousand actually probably more than a thousand of these harnesses then no, talk about like promising forty million harnesses yeah. in five years. Yeah, then you'll get whatever color, whatever wire color you want. want. Yeah, you could pick any color: chartreuse yeah. and purple. Yeah, yeah, and then the <laughs> other one is purple and chartreuse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's how it always goes. Yep. So yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's what Parker has been doing. Yep. Uh, so. Yesterday, I spent some time back at the Science Museum. Uh, for those who uh, haven't heard some of the podcasts where we've talked about it, I've got some projects that are going up in the Science Museum right now uh, as part of the new energy wing in the Houston Science yes. Museum. Uh, and so we're kind of at the very, very tail end of that. The We're in the commission mode uh, where we're doing some slight modifications and things like that. So, uh, yeah, yesterday I was... I did a little bit of reprogramming of my, my project. Um, and I will go back one more time and, uh, kind of shake hands and say, it's yours now. Have fun. Have fun. When it comes to maintenance, good luck. And you leave <laughs> and just burns down. Yeah. It just burns the whole museum <laughs> down. I, good God. I hope not. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. So here's the thing. And, 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 uh, I was actually really excited. This happened. So, the the guys at the science museum we've provided them a manual on how our project works it's like a one page thing because it's like press button and it does thing yep you know but regardless uh they they haven't been in in a method yet of like turning on and turning off things properly so they just left my project on for like weeks <laughs> and i'm actually happy they did that cuz it stress tested it and not only did they leave it on for weeks what that what that means is my stepper motor that holds the entire weight of the project held that weight like you know, 10, 15 feet in the air for two weeks straight, yeah, uh, just burning away juice. And it was fine. I literally walked in. I was like, oh, my gosh, this has been on for a long time. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So I just went and pressed the button, and it just operated like it should. I was like, that is how I want this to work. Like, Yeah, but you just reduced the lifespan from like – infinity to like <laughs> to like a years. week yeah to a week now <laughs> yeah 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 because i mean i have i have a big monster nema 34 stepper motor that that was just holding torque for weeks <laughs> uh which probably i'll admit is probably not great for it 
Uh, and that's not its normal operating mode. It will be turned off every day. So it has it has eight hours of, of runtime every day. Uh, and so really what that shows me is that like I was able to stress test both the motor, the, the driver, and my power supply. And, and code. And my code, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It sat there listening for two weeks straight, and it was able to instantaneously jump into its code. So that makes me happy. Like that, okay, great. This has some long-term... Uh, capabilities but the thing that we're actually doing right now is we we want it to have even longer term so we're counterbalancing the whole thing so as of monday of next week uh the stepper motor will actually not even hold any weight or if it does it'll be very small because we're just going to put an equal amount of weight on it so really the stepper motor will just be moving the thing as opposed to holding it yep um so uh and 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 hopefully Right now, the the goal is Monday. It'll officially be the property of the Science Museum, and kids will be able to go and hammer the button and watch it do things. So I took a video of it and passed that off to Parker, and he'll upload that. And yep. I'm wondering how interesting kids will actually find it. I, so as just a quick overview, it's a logger, and a logger is a device that uh, measures the resistance of a hole effectively yep. like a, a drill hole and so the the device that in this video it goes down it opens up and it moves up yeah that's that's all it does yeah uh but um so kids will find it as interesting as they find everything else in a science museum you know like because when you go to the science museum as a kid it's like you've got four hours to go run around and push every button you can yeah. and stare at computer screens and get like Go on an earthquake simulator or whatever your science museum. Do you remember has. that? Um, at it was at that museum, the uh, where you got into the elevator and it went like down a drill hole. Oh, Parker. Yes, I need to take pictures. I'll take pictures on Monday. Is there a new one now? There is a brand new one, and it's got to be like four million dollars worth of stuff. <laughs> it's called the Geovator. Geovator, huh? And, and and yeah, yeah. Okay, so Parker remembers this from you probably went in elementary school to that, right? No, my parents. Oh, you me. weren't yeah, you weren't in Houston at that time. Okay, no. but but you went on the old ride. When yeah. I was in elementary school I went to it. And it was this cheesy little it was like a closet that you go inside of and yeah, and it was like this guy who takes you in like a ride down to the bottom of a drill. And, yeah, and it was like the video screen, it looked like the guy was like a bell hop. Yep. 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 And the floor would start shaking, shaking. when you're drilling and stuff. So they've completely revamped the geovader and now it is like this monstrous room that you go inside of uh and it and it it looks all like super spacey and, and Fancy, crazy yeah. and stuff and so it's gonna like shake and take you on a whole ride and things like that this is what this is what companies in houston spend their money on yes, <laughs> yeah know, like a giant ride to the bottom of a wellhead, wellhead. Yep. <laughs> and and we actually we have a second piece that's directly next to the geovader uh and it's just a drill it's it's pretty boring but whatever yeah so yeah science museum project is almost done that is like eight months in the working yeah i can't wait to go see it yeah i'm actually kind of excited to like go and you know press the button yesterday yesterday was the first time i saw it in in what the the museum calls its final state because i've always seen it where it's surrounded by like raw plywood yeah. so it look it, it's always looked like a homemade thing until yesterday it was all painted all the graphics were there and they put plexiglass around it and i was like oh yeah it actually, actually looks, looks kind of professional it actually does look pretty good and okay i was actually talking to the other guy um that i did the project with last night at the museum one of the things that makes me happy is like we got paid to do this project but we're not like 
we're not getting paid gobs of money and and it's a it was a pretty thin budget for this we made it all work within the budget but it's not like we didn't get a million dollars to make this let's put it that way uh and so you know a lot of the stuff is uh you know we we pulled it out because we know how to work within a small budget and so uh, maybe if we had more money certain aspects of the the mechanisms would be a little flashier or a little bit more I don't know, maybe we'd use titanium or you know, something like that. Yeah. But one of the things that was cool was I, I've been able to see the guts of everyone else's projects. Yeah. They're just like ours. You know? <laughs> Even the half a million dollar projects, there's a guy who's like, swear to God, I, I saw one of the panels over there and there was yeah. a guy who was using speaker wire to hook up things. Oh. And, you know, like, and so I was like, ah, I love it. Yes. You know, oh, because it's just like, speaker wire. it's perfect. You know, like the, all of these things are done professionally, but at the same time, it's also like, Hobbyist. Yeah, well, I mean, there's guys who just get it done, and the speaker wire just gets it done. I was like, ah, thumbs uh. up, that's great. And you know, it also on top of that, there is a there's a piece that is in the same kiosk as one of ours, mm-hmm. uh, and they were programming it in Arduino. There's an Arduino that the science museum decided that's what they're going to choose to do all this in. So it's like, hey, that's cool, you know. So speaker wire. <laughs> Uh, anyways, I actually don't have speaker wire in in my control box anymore. I I ripped that out. Yeah. It was a temporary thing, but still, like to see someone else using it, it was like ah, that's great. I remember going to a pinball festival, and this guy made a one off machine. I can't remember what the theme was, and I looked inside, and it was all speaker wire. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> it's really flexible. Ugh, it's terrible. <laughs> so crummy and cheap. Yeah, it works though. Yeah. Alright, so RFO. RFO? Yeah. We we are going to have to go to the science museum and, and videotape it when it's all up and running. Hopefully it works. Yeah. Um so the RFO we have this week Beverage Coaster Reference Design by Intersil. Okay. So this is I um I'm on the Intersil like I guess mailing list or whatever, so I so they're sending RFOs to you. Yeah, they sent an RFO <laughs> to me today. Um, so this is a like a reference. They call it a reference design. It's basically a project one of their engineers made, probably like using basically all their chips oh, or, sure. or a big part of their chip selection. It's a beer coaster, okay, that lights up and stuff. So it has batteries and stuff. But it as you put your beer closer to it, it lights up fa- faster and faster until you hit contact, and then it plays. The chicken dance over its piezo speaker. You know, I, okay, okay. I, I, I now we're we're. I'm thinking about the same thing here because I saw an article on EE Web and mm-hmm. it said something about like Oktoberfest coaster. It must be the same thing. Similar, probably. So is it like a theremin but, where it's detecting the distance between? It, yeah, it uses a proximity sensor, like what's in your phone. Oh, to no determine okay. the distance, and then. Um, it's got a temperature sensor, so it will know how if your beer is well. They say drink or beverage is uh, acceptable temperature. Oh, acceptable! Let so it's know. the electronic version of a, uh, the mountains on a Coors can. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know when the LED turns blue, it's cold as the Rockies. <laughs> um. Yeah, and it's got like a uh, uh, strain sensor in it too. So yeah, uh, yeah, strain sensor. So like it can weigh how much this stuff's on it. It's a pretty interesting project. Hmm. Um, I was actually looking to see if you could just buy it. Oh, I, instead of building. Yeah, I couldn't find it. Um, hmm. And if 
I think the files are on the website, and I might just try to toss them into the like macrofab thingy and see if I can just buy one. And because that'd be kind of a cool thing to have. Yeah, I, I mean, might. I, did I they might have re- all the programming files and everything. Yeah, yeah, they do. I'm, I might change the chicken dance to something else though. Yeah, what is it? Uh, does it have just like a, a ROM on there or something like that? I have no idea. It probably is actually a uh, an array filled with values that it pumps out PWM to the. Oh, it's got piezo. a little buzzer. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It probably sounds hor- horrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But that's cool, though. It's a pretty cool project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's kind of interesting to see, you know, bigger companies do goofier little projects like this finally now. I like it. Well, remember our IoT uh, beer coaster thing? Yeah. Uh, you could add IoT to, to this. this. Yeah. Uh, especially if it weighs the beer. Yeah. Like, you could, you could put a fresh beer on it and then, you know, indicate that, like, this is a fresh beer and then it would weigh it as it goes down and then flag the waitress yep when it gets really low yeah that's a good idea yeah i was actually thinking about instead of weighing the beer well no it just, I, I was actually thinking like if you can shine a sensor up and so when it gets empty it would be clear they'd like shine up into the beer yeah like just a like a a a color sensor oh and okay. so when it detected like clear or nothing it would be empty because it might be cheaper to do it that way. But then I'm like, if you put Budweiser in it, it would not register. <laughs> always beer. empty, yeah, buy always more. Em- yep. <laughs> or any really light-colored beer. You'd have to calibrate it for, like, dark and light. You'd have to, ca- yeah, you'd pretty much have to calibrate it per beer. Yeah. Yeah. Or you just made a cutoff where, like, empty is, like, just clear glass. But then if you had foam on the bottom. Weight is a much yeah, better Yeah, weight's going to be easier. Because yeah, you, you would know how much an empty glass would weigh. Plus a little bit of beer, and that liquid would be about the same weight no matter what beer it is. Yeah. At least for the principle of this thing. <clears throat> you know, we should build that thing eventually. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll make that a project that we'll get to in like 80 years after the SSPS is done and the Resistor Resistor is done and all the other projects that we want to do. Yeah, there's a stack. In fact, oh. we're looking around the engineering department right now, and there's just like a graveyard of projects. Hey, the synthesizer's done. The synthesizer is. I'm, I'm doing okay. parentheses right now. It is done. We declared it done. done. Let's just call it that. It needs wire management. It needs wire management and more stuff, but still, it is done. Yes, yeah. it is done. Okay, so the second RFO. It's not really an RFO, um, but whatever. It's um, I've found this on the Reddit ECE. Uh, subreddit today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's thoughts on high volume through hole wire soldering. What? So if you have a product that goes inside the case and you need to wire it up to some wires that go to a connector or whatever, and how do you do for volume soldering wires to the board, or do you go connectors or what? Ah, and I'm asking you this because you're our production manager. You know that is an excellent question. Or director of production. Director, yeah, my my new title is director of production. Yeah, um, the, okay, excellent question because we go through this basically daily. Yeah, with every single volume customer. Right, <laughs> and 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 here's here's the here's something to keep in mind: if you can do it for one, that doesn't mean you can do it for a hundred, and that certainly doesn't mean you can do it for ten thousand or a billion. So if if you have the an idea for a product and 
you you know you think you can save a couple pennies here and there by like oh i'll just manually move this pin out of the way or like cut this little thing or wire this when you start moving that into high quantity stuff it it gets to be way more of a pain in the ass like why do why do connectors exist in at all why don't you just solder everything to a board well so you can remove it later but connectors are pricey uh, right. Connect, yeah. yeah, connectors are pricey. And so but if, labor is too. Yes, but labor is too. Um, so would you say if you, if, if for, for, is there a cutoff point? Like for low volume stuff, is it better to do, you know, solder straight in or do a connector? Because then you could talking about doing NRE charges with like a, a harness manufacturer to get your, you know, wires made with the connector. Sure, sure. Well, okay. So first of all, this is this is something to consider that will uh, that it's it's a little bit different, but it may impact the idea behind it. Uh, if you're gonna have something that needs to be soldered by hand, not by machine. Uh, in fact, even if it is by machine, try to make all of the through hole happen on the same side of the board. If you can change your design, if you can change your packaging, if you can do whatever, have it all happen on one side of the board. In fact. It's and it, it's difficult for for most designs, but it's awesome if all the SMT can go on one side and all the through hole go on the other side. That makes a product fly through manufacturing because you can do one side pick and place, one pass through an oven, and one pass through a wave solder machine or a selective solder machine. And talk about reducing labor there. You've got three operations there that don't actually require a human being to touch any of your parts other yeah. than stuffing uh, for through hole. So when it comes down to that, you know, if you're kind of. If, if your design by default means you have a lot of through hole that go in multiple different directions, then it's you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for paying more yep. uh, for hand soldering. At that point, adding wires doesn't really cost much more. It's just another operation. Yep. As soon as you decide that a through hole needs to go in from the top and another through hole goes in the bottom, you've guaranteed raised price on your board because there's just a whole nother operation, operation to do. that might require jigs, that might require assembly instructions, that might require all kinds of stuff. Yeah, because even just wiring, like let's say if you can do all your connectors or through hole parts with a wave, you're not going to be able to put a 12-foot wire on the board and hold it in place through the wave solder machine. Yeah, a wave solder machine is like, 15, 20 feet long. Yeah. Well, just like, what do you do with all the wire? It has to kind of like float behind it. So That's you'd, right. You'd have to manually solder in that wire no matter what. Right. And if you want anything to go through a wave machine, there are height requirements uh, or minimum or I'm sorry, maximum height requirements. And anything that goes through a wave has to be held down. Yep. Uh, you can't just like put a couple wires in a hole and sh- send it through. Uh, you're pretty much guaranteed that they'll fall out. So you have to be really careful about these these kinds of things as you as you start considering the project. Also, you know, yes, connectors, you might spend a little bit more on a connector, but think about the long-term impacts. Uh, if you ever have to service whatever your product is or if there's an RMA on it, if someone returns it uh, and you ever have to disassemble that, pulling a, con- a thing off of a connector is a second. Or de- yep. desoldering 20 wires is... Uh, absolute pain this, in the end. This, this is the thing is when thinking about this kind of stuff, um, I like to look at other consumer products. Yep. Like if you take apart a TV, it's still connectors. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, they still use, they put all the electronics go into one board 
mm-hmm. that has all the ports that you plug in, like the outside world, HDMI, composite, VGA, blah, 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 power. And then the screen plugs in with connectors still. Mm-hmm. They don't manually wire in that stuff. So someone has done the math to figure out that was cheaper. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially in consumer products where every penny counts. Yeah. Every half penny counts. Uh, I mean, like the difference between a resistor that costs 0.002 cents and 0.001 cents actually matters. Uh, so ribbon connectors are awesome. Uh, you know, custom harnesses are awesome. Now, now like there's, there's a lot of other things to consider also uh, when, when kind of approaching it. It's more about like, serviceability how long does it take to assemble how long does it take if there is an issue that's actually a big thing too uh all of these things are are worth considering i think the big thing is people when they are starting to spec out their product they see oh that connector is a dollar and so they say i don't want to use it i just want to solder it in well the labor is like a dollar fifty to solder solder yeah those 12 wires in right but they don't see it up front when they're designing so here's, here's another thing. This is the, I wouldn't call this a pet peeve, but this is something that I think is just really important for people to know. Uh, headers, pin headers, are awesome for prototypes and for low-volume stuff. They're absolute garbage for high-volume stuff. Uh, and what I mean by that is like a pin header is, is easy to solder for a guy to just slap on, but in high quantity, they become an, an absolute nightmare. Uh, and getting them aligned and everything is is just difficult. So why why is it nightmare? It's just alignment. Alignment. Uh, a lot of times people will you know there will be a three pin header and they'll select a forty pin part because they want you to kind of snap it off and break it into that that kind of thing doesn't really work well in high quantity because it starts gumming up the numbers and then you get all confusion in there. Um, and most of the time with these pin headers, you get a guy who wants to solder from the back side, and then he wants to put another board on top and solder from the top side when you could have built those as two separate assemblies with connectors that fit together. Or put it on one board. Right, right. Uh, so, I mean, like, consider consider a header where you have a pin header or a row uh, of males. Don't, don't, can, don't have another board that just fits holes through, and then you have to solder to that. Put the other board with a female connector such that they, they just slide together because uh the if you if you have this whole like board to board solder connection that has a lot of labor behind it that has a lot of time that's not wasted but it just costs money it just costs a lot of money to do so connector to connector is almost always cheaper than just board to board soldering so headers are kind of we all use them and we all love them just when it gets to higher quantity and you know i don't have a number for what that higher quantity is but everyone knows what high quantity is in general like if you're talking about 10,000 boards really heavily consider not using headers yeah use something that actually like snaps together or connects together and and here's the thing there's connector companies all over the place and they really 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 want you to use their connector so if you if you find a connector that's expensive and you're you know, uh, you you think it might be good? Call those guys. I bet you they'll send a sales rep out to you, and you can chat for a little bit, and you'll get it cheaper. They sell a uh, cust- uh, sorry connector companies will work with you on price for sure. Absolutely, I've 
dealt with them for a long time and what you see on mauser is not the price that you will actually pay it's that's way more than what you mm-hmm. would actually pay i think it's because a lot of times is you you basically um mauser has to break the parts out yes um and that's that's where for parts like that it's probably more expensive for them to do that mm-hmm. um because when we do the pin heck like we buy basically boxes for molex yeah, yeah, the and they just come and in trays. Yeah, no, they come in just a straight up box. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's they, like in they, bulk. But um, an unopened box is like it's like a tenfold cheaper. So right. Also, it it doesn't even another thing that people don't really understand is, uh, it doesn't take a a huge amount of quantity to get a custom connector made. Uh, you know, if for depending on your application, I mean, I've I've worked with customers in the past where we've only made a hundred of their product and we had a custom connector made like from scratch and it wasn't that expensive uh and so that's also an option to think about like if you have think about this if you have a product that you want to make ten thousand or a hundred thousand of and you could either go with five off-the-shelf mauser connectors or one custom connector made for you that one custom connector is likely to be cheaper than all five of those put together all packaged together cheaper all, yeah, all packaged together. Yeah, yeah. labor and, and other stuff. And, and that is an option. Uh, so when you're in the design mode, like, in th- now we're getting into industrial design, and that's a really creepy topic. You know, that's yeah. a really, like, ooh, things start to get real weird there. But, uh, but no, that's an option, and keep that in mind. Don't just think, like, oh, I can just slap 45 pin headers and then solder my boards together. Well, yeah, you can. It's just it's guaranteed to cost more. Yeah. So there's my thoughts. There you go. <laughs> and then we'll have to have like some music that's like thoughts from steven and then, na, 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 na. yeah some like <laughs> like 80s keyboard oh yeah rainbow goes across yeah. and it says now you know no, the more you know the more you know cool gi joe yeah um <laughs> so thanks for that steven you know it's actually really funny is i saw thanks and that's actually left over from last week's notes uh, oh yeah! Thanks for being on the podcast, guys. Yeah, yeah. That was a, we, we we write our thank yous to our guests. Well, that way we remember it. Yeah, because oh, yeah, we still probably forget it every time. Yes. Um, <laughs> so with that, that was episode ninety-two, right? Yes, ninety-two of the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you. Yes, you, our listener. Thanks again. Right, Stephen? Thanks again. For listening to our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic that you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet us at Macrofab or email us podcast at Macrofab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. The link is in the description. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. Our new website has a subscribe button now that I think you can subscribe through Google and through iTunes. That way, if you subscribe, you get the latest map right when I click the publish button, which is around 11 o'clock on Friday, Central Time, or Texas Standard Time. But that's a NPR show, I think. Um, And yes, please review us on iTunes and on Google because it keeps this show visible and helps new people find the show. Later, everyone.